Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday, Hans Georg Hoprich will continue with part two of his sermon, The Portrait of a Servant. As we continue with the second half of the Beatitudes, we will continue to encounter questions like last week and learn more about what a real servant of God looks like. So join us now for the second part of this sermon. such a privilege to be with you this morning again, isn't it? Um, have fellowship together in the Lord Jesus and have fellowship all around the, the globe with uh, different kinds of places and countries and people. In fact, it's so encouraging to see people meeting right now all around the globe from hour to hour. They are meeting uh, to worship the Lord uh, Jesus. And we are very privileged to have friends with us, uh, Susanne and Jochen, that came from uh, Wolfgangsee, I think, this morning. So I think they are the furthest, farthest away from, from us here. I mean, we came from Burgenland, uh, which is also, well, 50, 55 kilometers off, but they traveled uh, quite um, away from and also interrupted their holiday, which is uh, great. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. We know each other, I think, in the starting of 80s or so. For, so for a very, very, very long time, they joined our race of mission, supporting us, praying for us. So we are very privileged. Welcome you this morning um, here. Thank you so much. Now, um, as we look again uh, at this great topic of of service, servanthood, and servant, um, and those who were not present um, last uh, Sunday, we were looking at um, the first four uh, uh, Beatitudes. Uh, uh, we said that uh, the Lord Jesus preached that sermon, it's called the Sermon on the on the mound, and probably hundreds, if, if thousands of people were sitting uh, next to Jesus, next to those that may have been called later on to follow him. And Jesus, he um, turns out and blesses the people. And he says in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall uh, inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we said, you know, the Lord Jesus, he has enriched us. He has given us so many great things in our lives. He's pulled them out. So he did it for one purpose. 
so that his people may be different. This was a purpose. He has enriched us, he's blessed us, he's poured out his blessing because he wanted us to be different from people that do not believe in him. He wanted them to be different. And we ask um, at the end of our last uh, service last Sunday, we ask a couple of questions. Is my life, your and my life, my lifestyle, my behavior around, uh, different from those that are around me? Do I really care? Do I take what Jesus is saying seriously enough to wrestle with it and be ready to change? What significant impact will the ideas from these first four Beatitudes have on your and my life? Will it make a difference to you and me? And as um, I think I said it many a times uh, already, um, I think, um, you, you know, during Sunday service from one sen Sunday to the next one, it is time to train for training. So my question for you um, last time at the end of the service, um, again, did you see any difference the more we we practice these beatitudes day by day the less these attitudes will be something we consciously put on and more something we have become it's not another layer religious layer and so many people think you know they'll be put layers on layers but it's something in heart Something that Jesus wants to change. He's not just putting kind of a mantle on, on top of us, but he wants to change us in heart and mind and spirit. What are some specific situations currently going in, on in your life, in your work? Maybe in relationship with one of your friends, or even with your family at home? Do, does the word of God make any difference? And um, let's practice, uh, put it into practice, um, the things Jesus mentioned in the Beatitudes, the poverty of spirit, as we mourn about people, those that um, have put a stamp in our life and maybe they've gone called, has called them to be with him. Let's practice gentleness. Let's be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Let's pray before we uh, get on with part two of um, the portrait of a servant. Let, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this privilege in meeting together this morning. 
So many people do want to have fellowship and yet they, they are kept thirsty. They are kept hungry. Thank you that uh, you've given Grace Church here in this big city of, of Vienna so that people can meet and uh, be in your presence. And as we listen to you, to the voice of the Good Shepherd, help us to pay attention to whatever you'd like to say to us so that it will make a difference, so that we will be encouraged to be different. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all your efforts and for being with us, for your patience and love, for your care. And thank you that you are with us this morning, for we pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The portrait of a servant. Service, servanthood is um, the topic, the uh, yearly topic. And as people open up your homepage, they will see that kind of yearly topic at Grace Church. Now, there are questions that you would ask um, little children and one of the questions you would ask um, a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a good question, isn't it? And uh, people, young folks, kids, they have uh, different kinds of uh, desires. One of my grandchildren, he wanted to be, become a cook. Now, of course, he's turned 13 or so. He has different uh, ideas. I don't know. I mean, I think it changes ever so often. Uh, what do you want to become when you've grown old? Of all the questions children are asked, this is one is perhaps the most widely known and the most often repeated. At least we ask our grandkids. We have uh, six of them. Uh, three uh, uh, boys and uh, three girls. Um, for for example, when asked this some this same question, one boy with kind of a, a religious background with a religious conviction, this boy said, "I want to be a missionary and preach." Well, then in Africa, let's go to Ghana. Huh? Yeah, or go to the Philippines. Well, we stay in Austria. Great place to stay. Um, and, and this little boy said, that's difficult work. And, and the interviewer also, he said, yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult. And, 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 uh, but, but the boy said, no. And the interviewer said, why did you pick Af Africa? Now, what do you think why he picked up Africa? He said, because they have big crocodiles down there. And if the people don't listen to me, I can chase the crocodiles on them. Isn't that a great desire for a missionary? What do you reckon? Fortunately for the folks in 
Africa, few of us ever end up doing exactly what we dreamed about when we were little. But suppose for just a moment that we did. What do you think God would want all of us to dream about becoming what? What is the topic? Servants? What about that? Whether we live in Africa or for that matter here in Central Europe, whether we are missionaries or mechanics, the Lord Jesus desires one thing, that we are different. And he has been defining that kind of difference for us in right at the beginning of his of his service he wanted to show clearly that this is the core of the gospel to be different um and last sunday we analyzed the, the first four beatitudes today in part two um let's Go on with the next four Beatitudes. Today we shall be focusing on these last four traits that define what a, a servant. I'm, we're not talking about other people than those who have uh, put Jesus in the center of their lives, who committed their lives towards him. Now this is one step. In a lifetime, as we commit our lives in the Lord, in the hands of the Lord Jesus, we tell them, I'm a sinner. I need to, I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. I open up my heart and mind, everything. Come in my life and make what? A difference. A difference. And the, Fifth beatitude, so to speak, the merciful. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is a compassion for people in need. It is, con it is concern for those who hurt, who suffer in the misery of pain, distress, and sorry, sorrow. This uh, week we got a, an urgent call from Beirut from colleagues of ours that were very close uh, where the blast came uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they are suffering, desperately suffering with their, with their kids and family. Yes, they are not from Lebanon, but yet they suffer. Can you help us? However, let me tell you, mercy goes deeper than just feeling sorry for someone in trouble. It's more than that. In its root, it means the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his, with different eyes, think Things with his mind and feel. 
the kind of feelings that person has. And um, clearly, this is much more than an emotional wave of a pity. Clearly, this demands a quite a deliberate effort for the mind and for our personal will. It denotes sympathy, which is not given, as it were, from, from outside, but which comes from a deliberate identification with the other person until we see as they see and feel things as they feel them. And in preparing this uh, sermon, I came across a guy, I didn't know him, but the example of his life he really touched me deeply. Uh, his name is John Howard Griffin, and he just did that. Outwardly, you know what he did? He shaved his hair, darkened his skin, and became for a time a black man amongst many white ones. He indeed experienced the changes that occur uh, to heart, body, and intelligence when a so-called first-class citizen is cast on the chunk heap of second-class citizenship. He had felt sympathy for black people before, but not until he was inside their skin did he really know and understand the horror of fanatics. That is where mercy is born. Out of the I would call it out of a, where is, where does born take place? It, out of the womb of identification. For Jesus, it was the literal womb of a young Jewish girl that made it possible for him to get inside our skin and experience our weaknesses. As the author of Hebrews Confirms in Hebrews 4, 14 to 15, he says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. The beautiful promise Jesus gives to those who show mercy is that they will receive mercy in return. So every beatitude has a promise. We said that last time and the promise of being merciful is in return, we receive mercy. Get involved with the lives of others. Comfort them in their hurts and disappointments. Visit them. Don't expect people to come to you, but go out and, and, and visit them. Knock at their doorstep. Visit them. Show your face. 
Oftentimes, that's what I'm telling you. You know, that's what God did. He showed his face. He became one of us. And the next um, mentioned quality that the Lord Jesus picks up in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Matthew chapter 5, 80, that blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Wow! What a great promise that is. The key to understanding this verse is that small phrase of in heart. It does not refer simply to those who do the right things, because that's what we think, humanly speaking. We do the right things. It's like getting, um, uh, I don't know, chewing gum or something. There are kind of, um, you put a penny in and you get chewing gum down below. And, and people think the same with God. We do the right thing on top and God will give us something. That makes a big difference. It does not refer simply to those to, that do the right things. But it refers to those who do the right things for the right reasons. A servant is to be free from hypocrisy, duplicity, and sham. Jesus' fiercest criticism fell on the Pharisees because they pretended to honor God with their lip service while their hearts were far away from him. They pretended. But God looks further than just to our mouth. He looks in our hearts. This is why Jesus made it very plain and wow, I, he was very direct, spoken out. He says, you hypocrites, in Matthew 15, 7 uh, to 9, uh, 5, chapter 15 to uh, 7 to 9, he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human Rules. Perhaps Jesus' most blistering confrontation with the Pharisees is found in Matthew 23, 25 to 28. Unlike the, when, when he uh, talked in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are you. This is a phrase used eight times in the Beatitudes. This chapter, um, contains uh, woe to you. He says in Matthew 23, 25 to 28, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes 
and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bone and uncleanness. Even so you too outwardly appear righteousness, righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In contrast to the unclean hearts of the Pharisees, Jesus uses one word back in Matthew 5a to describe the heart of a servant. And we are talking about service, servanthood, and the servant. And here is a very special expression that he refers to and talks about. He talks about pure. Pure. I think I told you um, some uh, weeks ago that we have um, a friend of ours. Uh, she gave us um, a, a, a coin uh, of gold just before we left to do our studies in England. She said, well, that's... Um, you can re get the get it in in the bank or so. It's sort of your last bit of money, so to speak, and it's ninety nine point nine percent gold. It's pure, and that is the Greek word for pure has has several usages for of all of which have something to add to the meaning to this special beatitude. Originally, the word pure simply meant clean or means clean and could, for instance, be used of soiled, dirty clothes which have been washed clean. They are pure and clean. Secondly, the word pure is regularly used for corn which has been winnowed or sifted and cleansed of all chaff, of um, for instance, in the same way it is used of an army uh, which has been purged in all discontented, cowardly, unwillingly, and inefficient soldiers, and which is a force composed solely of first-class fighting men. They did whatever they liked to do, um, and but they did not do what they were asked to do. And the third meaning, the word pure, very commonly appears in company with the other Greek adjective, akeratos. Akeratos can be used of milk or wine, which is unadulterated with water, is not mixed with water. You know, there's nothing added to it, but it's pure. It's pure, and um, uh, so that is a third meaning that was commonly used in 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 the same perspective. Perspective, if uh, the word "use" pure was used. So then, the basic meaning of pure is unmixed, is genuine is clean, is clear like clear water can be. That is why this beatitude is such a demanding, 
beatitude. It could be translated, blessed is the man, is the man whose motives are always entirely unmixed for that man shall see God. That is the measurement that God puts to his servants. This beatitude demands from us the most exacting self-examination in our work done from motives of service or in motives of pay, in our service given from selfless motives or from motives of self-display and the work we do in church done for Christ or for our own prestige. Um, and what and what uh, is our reward in such demanding self-examination? We shall see God. This is the desire, deep insight, hidden away from outward. Deep inside, we have the desire to meet God for only the Utterly sincere can hear the dazzling visioning whose light in the darkness of deceit must vanish by those who follow him. So um, the Bible talks clearly about being pure. And then the next beatitude talks about the peacemakers. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be call, called sons of God. This is the only time in the New Testament that the Greek term for peacemakers appears. So for Jesus, it must have been very important if he uses one expression only one time, it must have been very important to clarify its meaning. And it's often so, you know, if you want to clarify a meaning, you tell people what it does not mean in order to make sure that people understand what it really means. So, for example... It does not mean avoiding all conflicts or confrontation. You see, that's a cultural thing. We try to avoid it. We don't go to the point. We avoid confrontation. It does not mean that. And we need to know that. Because in our culture, we often avoid it. We run away of confrontation. We don't like it. At least in shame culture in Africa or in Asia, you don't like confrontation. Never. A little bit different with us Germans. You know, we just bang our head against the wall and uh, we don't care that much. And we go against, you know, we just bang and go ahead. So it does not mean either being easygoing and relaxed. It does not mean defending a peace at any price philosophy. And it does not mean being passive 
about any controversial issue. You know what a peacemaker is. I think it's very important to know that. This is why so many of our follow, follow, uh, following Christians in all the world are persecuted because they speak out of unrighteousness. And you see that in in the New Testament with many of those who preach the gospel. They didn't talk about themselves. They just made it plain. The word of God. So in that sense, uh, we're not peacemakers as we think peacemakers should be. Because we put a certain picture to peacemakers which the Bible tell, doesn't tell us. So if not these, then what? Let's let the Bible speak. Because that's uh, the standard we get. The Bible speaks for itself before we draw any conclusion. In, in Psalm 34, 14, it says, Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 8, in this great chapter um, of Romans 12, If possible, so far as it depends on you, Be at peace with all men. Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up for one another. And it's practical uh, chapter um, of James 3. James um, is very practical. Uh, and he says in James 3, 16 to 18, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without hypocrisy and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the most important thing is the peace with God. And it's often a contradiction to be in peace with people because we confront them with reality. We confront them with what the Bible tells us. Even from, from this brief overview, the imperative for Christ's servants is clear. Make peace. Shalom. The overwhelming deep peace that only God can give in relationship to Him. Peace is Only in relationship with the one that knows all about peace. It is in, in relationship with a peacemaker of this world and universe. It's in relationship with the Lord Jesus. Only with the Lord Jesus there is peace. To do that we must first be at peace with ourselves. At ease internally, not emotionally heated or agitated by abrasive. Second, we, we must strive to settle 
quarrels rather than start them. And third, we must be constructive, positive with our words rather than destructive and negative. Do you know how much training we need for that? It's amazing. Let's train it. I want to encourage you. Let's train it. It's not that I'm saying that we can achieve it all in all, but we can train it, you know, and God can ponder in our heart. It depends about the things that we think in our head and mind, and we can train it. And Solomon, in his wisdom, he describes for us the language of peacemakers. He says in Proverbs 15, 1, he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Wow, that's sweeter than honey, isn't it? I like that. Proverbs 25, 11, it like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Now in every church except um, Grace Church, of course, sorry, I'm confronting you a little bit. I hope you don't chase me out. Um, there are the troublemakers. There are the ones that sow out bitterness and strive. Not in Grace Church, of course. I know. I mean, you shouldn't confront me about that. I'm sure that there are no uh, troublemakers at Grace Church. There are people who are always storm centers, so to speak, of trouble and bitterness and strife. On the other hand, thank God. There are people in whose presence Bitterness cannot live people who bridge the gulfs and heal the bridges. Such people are doing a God-like work. For it is the great purpose of God to bring peace between men and himself and between men and men. There are both, both perspectives, horizontal and vertical. Both aspects are included in, in those that make peace. We are at peace with God to start with. If we are not in peace with God, it may not be possible to be in peace with man. Because it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness, it enriches us so that we can forgive others and thus have peace with one another. Because the peacemakers do the work of God, they shall be called, Jesus promises that, sons of God. The last Beatitudes Beatitude talks about the persecuted. And really, we should ponder on those that are persecuted. And some of us, some of those that are present have been persecuted deeply. 
Some of us have, they had needed to even leave their own country in order to settle their life again. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, and I want to hand that to you that may have experienced persecution because of Christ. Blessed, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults on you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. Wow. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Coming after peacemaking, Jesus focuses here on persecution. May not seem out of place, but really it is not misplaced. It is indeed realistic. This is what happens in this world. The truth is people who do right are, are often treated wrongly. It can happen because of misunderstanding or just plain mean-spiritness. Either way, it's mistreatment directed at someone who does not deserve it. We've um, come with our friends Ali and Mary who've exactly experienced that in their home country. They had to leave their home country. And you can interview them afterwards, the kind of things they have experienced. Mistreatment, persecution, because of Christ. And many of us do know people that had to leave their country because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. In fact, I think we need to have a special service every uh, year to be reminded to those that are persecuted because of Christ. And the only way to endure it at times is to look beyond the present, the present pain to great rewards Jesus promises in the future. In fact, it was the well-known 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon who was steadied and strengthened through this very beatitude. He was extremely popular. Until today, he is extremely popular. And he was a, a gifted preacher. Spurgeon, nevertheless, had his share of uh, critical distractors. Normally, he could withstand these attacks. His... Um, Resilient spirit buoying him up, but one time they became too much and he began to falter and slump. His wife, seeing the effect of these cruel blows, decided to take action uh, to regain his strength. Printing out the words of these last beatitudes. And you know what she did? She was a wise woman. She, did, she then tacked the message 
on the ceiling above Spurgeon's side of the bed, of his bed. Every morning, every evening, when he would rest his enormous frame in his bed, the words were there to meet and encourage him. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. The large sheet of paper remained fixed on the ceiling for an extended period of time until it had done the job. Would you like to do the same in your house? Tag it on the ceiling. To be reminded to this beatitude. Of course, Spurgeon could have chased crocodiles as we started with. And on his distractors. Like the little boy who wanted to be a missionary, but instead he chose to be a servant, and focus on his future rewards. My brothers and sisters, what will your approach to persecution be? It may happen in, even in our time. Now we are safe and secure in in Austria, it's one of the safest countries in the world. I think the third or fourth safest country in the world. I think New Zealand is a little bit better, but not much. We have looked at in close detail in each of the eight Beatitudes presented in Matthew 5. Combined, they form a, a grand portrait of a servant. It portrays servanthood pure of what Jesus wants us to be when we grow up. He doesn't demand it. But as we grow, have fellowship, the more we take, the more we can give. That's koinonia. The, the Greek word is koinonia. We take first from the Lord Jesus so that we are enabled to give. To present people with peace. To be peacemakers. We've um, seen, we have had a, a close look at poor in spirit. We're talking about mourning. We talked about gentleness. We talked about hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We talked about the merciful. There was a word about the poor, pure in heart. We, this morning we talked about the peacemakers. And lastly, we talked about the persecuted. Memorize their individual differences and shapes. Imitate the emphasis. Internalize the truth until your servanthood becomes as authentic as the masters whose signature is written on your portrait. It's a matter of training. And it's like building a house. Till the end of our time, we are building. We're still building. But we are doing it with hope and peace in our heart. Now, imagine, and I want to finish with that, 
you may do that in a couple of years again. You are um, caves dropping um, on a pastoral search committee, interviewing two potential candidates. The committee chairperson says, would you both share your philosophy about helping, helping those in need? Candidate one said, oh, I feel deeply for those less fortunate souls who are destitute. It just makes me weep every time I pass by someone living on the street. Well, of course, the committee members and their heads in approval and sigh emphatically. My wife has often told others that she feels I have a special sensitivity, an anointing, if you will, to the hurts and trials of the poor. Even more knots came. Praise the Lord! By the, all the committee members, they were in praise and, and, you know, they were so fascinated by this first candidate. In gratitude for this special gift, I have covenanted, covenanted with the Lord to sacrifice five minutes every day on my knees, beseeching the Almighty on behalf of all the hungry and homeless in the world. What do you reckon? Everyone is smiling. They all were impressed. Except the second candidate who looks a little annoyed. And the chairperson then said, Blessed are those that are meek, merciful, I believe. We are all touched by this um, uh, example. And now let us hear from the second candidate, what is your philosophy about helping the poor? Candidate two came up and turned up, my philo philosophy is simple. If a man or woman is without clothing or food and say, I'm touched by your suffering and promise to pray for you, God bless you. Go in peace. What good is that dead silence. It should not take a special anointing to realize that mere words are not true mercy. True mercy is practical. It feeds and clothes the poor, comforts the sick and cares for the elderly. We are to be doers of mercy, not mercily talkers who delude themselves even more silence in this room. And the committee chairperson says, oh well. And he <clears throat> clears his, his throat. Of course, we would all agree with you, but I think that perhaps our first candidate will be better suited to meet the needs of this church Go in peace and um, guess who got just turned down. You're right. The apostle of practicality.
the Apostle James. If we were alive today in his Uh, had been the real interview, he probably would not have gotten the job in a lot of churches. His frankness offends too many people. And then Jesus, in finishing, I want to bring that um, again, again to your attention in Matthew 25, 31 to um, 33, and then 41 to 46. But when the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on this glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. Just picture that kind of gathering. And he will put the, the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then he will say to those of the, of the, on his left, depart from me. A cursed one into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was strange and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not care for you, then he will answer to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it in one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. The true measure of your mercy is not our words, But our deeds, this is coming week. Let's train it again. I would urge you, let's do it together. Be a doer and give Jesus something to eat. Invite him into your home. Give something to wear. Drive him to that job interview. Visit him in the hospital. Get involved. Make plans to minister to him in a regular basis. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 10, bless it are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Poor in spirit, mourning, gentle, hunger and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers and persecuted. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Your word is reminding of us who you are. Thank you that you are calling us to follow in your footprints, in your footsteps. We thank you that you encourage us. As long as we have time, as long as we live, to fill out the purposes you've given out to those that follow you, your servants. We thank you for the privilege in being called servants. We thank you that you've served us first. You even washed the legs of your disciples to show what servanthood is all about. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can follow you 
and show other, others who you are. And Lord, we confess that we need your help. We need to be reminded again and again who you are. Your service towards us. And in doing so, to be reminded how we can serve others. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've blessed us abundantly. More than we can take. And we thank you that you help us even during this week to come. And the weeks to come, even in our lifetime. To be different. Different from the world around us. Different from the people that do not follow you. We thank you for this morning. And we thank you for being reminded. Who, that we are servants of you. And that you serve us first. We praise you and we worship you. And give you all the glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.